Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Star Wars 7x7 episode 691 today. It's part one of a two-part interview with Cass Sunstein, the author of The World According to Star Wars. Punch it, Chewie. Hi, this is Mike and Joe from the Cantina Cast. And you're listening to Star Wars 7x7, the only daily Star Wars podcast. Hey Rebel Rouser, welcome to Star Wars 7x7. I'm your host Alan Voivod and we are breaking up the interview with Cass Sunstein into two parts. Either way, it's going to be a bonus length episode both days of the podcast, today and tomorrow. We got to talk with him about his book, The World According to Star Wars, which we did a review of on the podcast yesterday. And just to give you a quick refresh on Cass, he is the Robert Walmsley University Professor at Harvard, where he is founder and director of the Program on Behavioral Economics and Public Policy, a columnist for Bloomberg View, frequent witness before Congress, and an informal advisor to many public officials in national, state, and local governments. He's also served as administrator of the White House Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs and is a member of the President's Review Group on Intelligence and Communications Technologies. Also an attorney advisor in the U.S. Department of Justice, he is a constitutional law expert, perhaps the most cited constitutional law professor in the country and the world even, maybe. Also a multi-best-selling author. So amazing that he decided to write a Star Wars book after all. Now, since Cass is a constitutional law professor and has a wide range of disciplinary interests, I thought, well, let's explore some of these in the interview. Let's not just limit it to fandom. Let's dig into some of the stuff that he talks about in the book. And as such, the topics we explored included reputational cascades, mass media, authoritative ratings of the movie, freedom of choice versus predestination, and audience reactions thereof, Martin Luther King Jr. and conservative rebellions, and we digressed into quite a few other avenues as well. So much so to the point that I had scheduled a half hour for the interview and it ended up running just under an hour. So here we are splitting it up with part one of the interview with Cass Sunstein, author of The World According to Star Wars, here for you. Cass Sunstein, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Let's dive right in, shall we? Uh, looking forward to it. Wonderful. All right, so... You said right from the right from the get go that the book is dedicated to your son Declan. And odd coincidence, my son is named Declan too. Actually, <laughs> that's great, great name. Yeah, and um, the PR materials that I received from Lawrence say the book is inspired by conversations with him. And you dive into some pretty heady topics in the book. So I just want to know, <laughs> what kinds of conversation are you having with Declan? Uh, we don't talk a whole lot about constitutional law or about how exactly George Lucas came up with the ideas for Star Wars. Not yet? Not yet. We more talk about, whoa, and wasn't that amazing? And, oh, my God. So it's a little simpler than the book? Maybe a little simpler, but you did have an anecdote in there about the the book Thinking Fast and Slow, and you've already explained to him the concepts of a System 1 and System 2 thinking as relates to 
passing by toy stores and his impulse to get anything he can possibly get out of that. Yes, yeah, so this is closely related, I think, to Star Wars. The, the relevant social science is pretty recent. And the idea is that our brains have two systems in them. Uh, one is automatic and speedy and kind of recognizes a, a threat instantaneously and knows what to do or falls in love in a heartbeat. Uh, system two is more deliberative and slower and thinks, you know, I've fallen in love with that person, but I don't really know her, so probably should get to know her before uh, marrying her or thinks that threat is actually a large dog who's super friendly and uh, isn't going to bite me but is more likely to wag his tail at me. That's system two. That's the deliberative system. Uh, Jedis, by the way, have extremely well-developed system ones, so they know exactly what to do intuitively. Uh, My little boy, I did explain the system one, system two distinction as a way of getting him to be less fixated on uh, more and more toys. So when we pass a store, he says, uh, Daddy, my, my system one is, is really uh, getting to me. Uh, and uh, at least he has the terminology. Uh, one day he announced to me or he questioned to me, he looked at me and he said, Daddy, do I even have a system two? <laughs> and what was your answer? Uh, I said, yes, of course you do, Declan. The more clever answer would have been... Uh, you wouldn't ask this question if you didn't have a system two. <laughs> that, 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 only system two asks that question. System one says, I want that toy. Well, he'll get there eventually, I'm sure, and I'm sure you'll get there with him too. Well, he's learning a lot of life's lessons from Star Wars. As a lot of people have. And did you have growing up? You mentioned a little bit in the book about being um, taken to see the movies when you were younger, but... One of the things you said in the introduction is that you only liked Star Wars. You divided people into three categories, liking Star Wars and loving Star Wars and not liking Star Wars. And you said that you eventually came to love Star Wars through the process of this book. Can you talk a little bit about how that happened? Are you able to quantify that or was it sort of just, you know, serendipitous synchronicity that it just happened? Uh, Quantify this we must. So, (laughs) uh, So when I first saw A New Hope... Uh, I was bowled over in the sense that the visuals, you know, the the opening scenes and the uh, richness of the world and the mysteries, I was pretty close to love. And then The Empire Strikes Back, which deepened everything, uh, I certainly thought it was fantastic and fabulous. And I really liked Return of the Jedi. And I enjoyed, uh, I confess, and we can talk more about this if, if you like, the, the prequels. Uh, so uh, the, the first two of the original trilogy, I didn't merely like, I loved them. But I, I wasn't a Star Wars person in the sense that I didn't think a whole lot about Star Wars. I, they were kind of just a background fact of our culture that I really appreciated. Uh, seeing them with my little boy recently, uh, a New Hope stands up super well, and The Empire Strikes Back, which is uh, a bit much for a, a then five-year-old, I thought that is a, a sen- truly sensational movie, even better than I remembered. And uh, I give Lucas credit for uh, an unbelievable visual imagination in the prequels and also some very uh, deep uh, 
plot movements. So seeing them and working on them in the in the recent past, I I, I went uh, from really liking and admiring to love. And the more I learned about the kind of arc of the uh, creation of the narrative and what actually Lucas was trying to do with these movies, um, I, I think the, the fact that Star Wars is the saga of our time, there isn't anything that comes close. They really are culturally defining. Uh, uh, that's earned. The, the, so I guess I'm speaking as, uh, I think the technical word is a fanatic. <laughs> And you have an authoritative, or at least you call it an authoritative rating, of the seven movies in your book. And I guess coming from a Harvard law professor who's the most cited law professor in the U.S. and, and probably the world, according to the book jacket, I think that's about as close to as authoritative as we're going to get. And the prequels don't fare so well. Basically, you have Revenge, uh, Revenge of the Sith and The Force Awakens coming in almost a photo finish, but Revenge of the Sith coming just above them. Otherwise, Attack of the Clones and The Phantom Menace in the bottom. And you talk in the book, and one of the major themes of the book is about freedom of choice and the, the power of agency versus destiny versus having your life controlled. What I'm curious to ask you about is when the movies came out originally in release order they were all about freedom of choice but when we get to the prequels all the star wars fans know that it's going to be the story of darth vader it's going to be the story of how anakin skywalker fell and how he went to the dark side so essentially the story was destined as far as we all know and i'm wondering whether you think that could have played a part in why the prequels are not as well received as the originals it's a completely great question. So, uh, a couple things. First, given the original trilogy, uh, it couldn't be that Anakin would end up being, you know, a heroic good guy. It would have been kind of interestingly bizarre if he hadn't become Darth Vader. But he, you're right, he had to become Darth Vader. That was predestined given the original trilogy. Okay, at the same time, that the narrative arc was predestined, Anakin makes choices at crucial moments, and he was free to choose otherwise. And I think that's uh, a terrific feature of the prequels, that they uh, put in real time, so to speak, Anakin in a position where he can go one way or another, and he goes the wrong way. Revenge of the Sith, which is... As you say, I rank that really high. I think it's great. Uh, mirrors Luke's choices in Return of the Jedi very precisely. And as Lucas at one point said, uh, Anakin says yes, and Luke says no to the dark side. We notice, you know, from uh, uh, killing somebody to uh, saving the Emperor to ultimately choosing to become a Sith Lord... Uh, Anakin has freedom of choice. The Sith respect that. It's a little like uh, the story, story of Dr. Faust where uh, Faust sell, sells his soul to the devil in exchange for immortality. There is a, a choice. The devil respects freedom of choice. So do the Sith. So do the Jedi. So I, I think that is a, a great feature of the prequels, and it shows the continuity with the freedom of choice themes of the original trilogy, even though the narrative arc was determined. Uh, you have a, an interesting suggestion, which is the reason that the prequels didn't do great is that the 
the tale actually was established by the original trilogy. Uh, I, I like the prequels and think that Lucas did some great things with them. The, I think to the extent that they weren't as great, they aren't as great as the original trilogy, Lucas uh, identified, I think with some bafflement, the defining characteristic of his own movies as a kind of effervescent giddiness. He says, that's what my movies have. And then he remarked, I think really puzzled, he said, that's strange because I'm not at all like that as a person. <laughs> and I've had the you know honor of meeting George Lucas, and he's a very uh, intense and impressive person. And you really wouldn't say he's giddy or effervescent. He's more focused. And his movies have effervescent giddiness. The prequels don't. They they have a more of a feel of uh, hard work. Uh, they don't have the effortless um, energy. Uh, of the originals and uh, that's uh, I think that's a, a negative um, they, they don't seem inspired uh, but I give I give them credit their uh, attack of the clones I think is really underrated uh, revenge of the Sith is terrific and the, the Phantom Menace has its moments it's challenging to make a mov- movie I think about a little kid uh, that just has a saccharine risk and uh, he tried to make it light, uh, but there are some scenes that are, I think, engraved on the memory in some way of, of anyone who's, who's seen that movie. I think you're right about that. And I think it's possibly coincidental, but possibly an interesting correlation that as the prequel trilogy goes along, you get more in the way of the ability for Anakin to have freedom of choice. As a kid, he gets the one choice to go along with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, but he has to have his mom's permission to be able to go, and he has to be freed and all of these things, so he's very lacking in even the opportunity for freedom of choice. And as the prequels progress, he has more of that, and ultimately it ends up creating a more compelling narrative. Uh, that's a great point. It's a completely great point, and uh, I wish I'd thought of it while I wrote the book. That, it, <laughs> that it's it's very cool that Anakin, given what you just said, and given what the movies tend turned out to be about, that he starts as a slave. That's mm-hmm. very very uh, uh, powerful. That ultimately, you know, in I think the greatest moment in any of the movies, uh, he exercises his freedom to, to, to save his, his son, and that's what saves him. And that is, you know, casting aside the bounds of a form of enslavement to the, to the emperor. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly, very much so. Oh, so you, and you're right, the, the domain of his ability to exercise his freedom in a way expands kind of every 10 minutes of the prequels until at the end of the prequels, he's a slave again. He's returned to his childhood and it's only at the moment where he restores balance of the force and establishes that he is indeed the chosen one. Uh, He is the chosen one when he is most a chooser. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that distinction too. Yeah, that that seems what what Lucas uh, did. And what's, I think, really beautiful is that the reason he falls to the dark side is that he can't bear uh, 
to lose his beloved. And the emperor promises him not his own immortality, but uh, um, uh, a safeguard against loss. Yoda, of course, says fear of loss is the path to the dark side, and that's vindicated in the prequels. But it's his very attachment and fear of loss of his son, his beloved's child, uh, whose voice I like to think he's hearing in his head. Right. Of choice. You always have freedom of choice. He is responsive to that when he uh, chooses uh, to save Luke. And there does seem to be a bit of a distinction as well in the in the choice that's made and whether it's good or bad in the sense that when Anakin makes the choice in Revenge of the Sith to protect Palpatine slash Darth Sidious, it's because of an imagined fear. He's having these dreams that something bad is going to happen, but it's not something that's actually happened. And in The Empire Strikes Back, Luke has the same situation when he's on Dagobah and has the vision of Han and Leia being tortured in Cloud City. It's not the actual physical act happening in front of him. It's his fear. It's what he creates in his own mind that causes him to do the wrong thing. But in Return of the Jedi, when Anakin is faced with his son actually being tortured, then it becomes something where the action is legitimized in a way. That's great. So it may be that in response to imagined fears that are like a dream, uh, we often go in directions that aren't good. Um, either they're reckless or they're destructive or they're you know, just anxious. Uh, but at the time when someone we love really is at risk or in large and small ways, there's a, a kind act or uh, a less kind act to be undertaken, we, we, we have a choice in real time. So Lucas once said very offhandedly, relatively recently, you know, long after the original trilogy, we, each of us has a choice to be a hero or not in our own lives. We can treat someone with compassion or not. We can act as if they have dignity or not. And that, I think, is something he had very much in mind, your point, about in real time rather than in response to uh, imagined fears, uh, phantasms in the mind. And I think I had wanted to try to forgive Anakin for killing all the Tusken Raiders after they had tortured and killed his mom in Attack of the Clones and was hoping to try and extend that to him. I just can't quite make it there, though. Yeah, it was bad. It was an act of uh, brutality in response to a loss. And, you know, it's it's understandable, but it's not forgivable. To, and it's like... Any destructive act, and Anakin has more of them, in response to uh, rage or fear, and you know he does, he is saved at the at the end, but uh, and he he ends up in in the right place, meaning the Star Wars equivalent of heaven, but he has to answer to his conscience for some uh, terrible misdeeds. It's very beautiful, I think, about the movies is the and it's a Christian theme is that no matter how horrible you are, or no matter what you've done, uh, redemption is possible. So I, I'm agreeing with you about forgiveness is hard, but uh, 
it's not for us, really. I mean, whether or not you're religious, uh, it's it's in a way for something larger, whatever you call it. And uh, and he he does get saved. And the Christianity aspect is one of 13 ways of looking at Star Wars that you have in the book, which was very entertaining, and I liked the um, the sly reference to Wallace Stevens' poetry, and that was very fun. Uh, I enjoyed the, it greatly. Yeah, that's I actually wrote a paper on that in college, <laughs> strangely uh, enough. Well, what I, one of the things that I think is uh, fantastic about Star Wars, and it's one of several reasons that it is indeed better than Star Trek, is that you can interpret it in multiple different ways, and there's maybe a thousand ways of understanding it that are interesting and true to it and illuminate what's going on in it, and there are a thousand ways of interpreting it that are not illuminating and are not true to it, but the latter thousand are as interesting as the former thousand. Right. They often have tremendous ingenuity. You know, I have a friend, a, a law professor of great distinction, who thinks that what Star Wars is really about is the uh, correctness of the emperor and the uh, chaos introduced by Jedi uh, misfiring. The emperor knows that order and regularity are indispensable to society. And on his view, this is sincere by a smart guy, uh, the Jedi screw everything up and a republic can't function. And uh, I think he's full of nonsense. Uh, 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 but he's a smart guy and this is what he thinks. And the evidence is there for him to draw from as well, which is another reason why Star Wars is just so rich because it is so well framed and open to interpretation in that way. Completely. And uh, the dark side, light side, the kind of simple view is that you know, we should have a choice. The dark side is seductive, but it's, uh, it's wrong, and you go, you go light. But uh, the, the saga has a much more complicated view, I think, that the dark side is part of every human heart, and if you don't visit it, you're not uh, human. And uh, those who stay on the light side, including Luke Skywalker, the hero of heroes, uh, they have been known to go to the dark side, even if very briefly. Right. And I think even him switching to black clothing in Return of the Jedi was somewhat symbolic in that way, that he had had some sort of brush with the dark side, even by essentially making the wrong choice and coming to Vader and Empire and fighting him out of anger and out of fear that right. that may be part of why he was able to bring on that symbolic um, way of dressing. Completely. And when he fights with Darth Vader and what is, you know, such a Freudian scene, uh, uh, he does go dark. The, the, the novel is very clear on it. Uh, the, the film is a little less unambiguous, but I think, you know, you watch it, he's feeling the ecstasy of the dark side when he's defeating his father. And Ray very much seems like she's feeling the ecstasy of the dark side and the Force Awakens in, their, in her climactic battle with Kylo Ren. And that actually leads me to ask you a question that I wanted to try and leverage some of your constitutional law experience and talk about the idea of the fact that 
you know, things that are sort of set in stone can evolve over time. And you talk very deeply about fathers and sons and their relationships and shot through the lens of Star Wars. And I'm wondering how you feel about the idea of fathers being able to relate to daughters and mothers being able to relate to sons through the lessons that Star Wars teaches or the lessons that Star Wars makes available. Yeah, I thought you were going to ask a, a very hard constitutional question, which is whether lightsabers are protected by the Second Amendment. The <laughs> I think we'll bracket that one. Yes. Uh, on okay, so Lucas in the first six films is clearly focused on fathers and sons, and that has a profoundly personal background, which is his own relationship with his dad was famously difficult. And there's no question that he drew on that experience in the in the tale of Luke, sounds a little like Lucas, and Darth Vader. No question about that. So that is the kind of fulcrum of the first six movies. But you could do something as interesting, and I think as Star Wars focused with fathers and daughters and uh, mothers and sons. So uh, what we're going to see in the uh, third trilogy is unclear, but it's pretty interesting to think about fathers and daughters in particular and their uh, interaction and how fathers can uh, give daughters the kind of uh, uh, strength and energy and capacity for agency that fathers can give sons. And uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised if we see something like that in what form exactly to be determined in connection with Ray. Uh, you raise a, a great point about, uh, about mothers. So uh, we don't have really uh, a heroic mother very clearly portrayed in the movies yet. Uh, Leia is a, a hero, but she's not uh, though she's a general her heroism isn't highlighted in the force awakens and though she is a hero in the first six movies i'm sorry the first three movies uh and presaged in the in the prequels uh we don't see her as a mother in, in them so the the mothers and sons mothers and daughters that could be extremely interesting and it could be have psychological depth uh, we'll see if it goes there. It looks as if right now the the third trilogy will be uh, father-daughter focused. That's my speculation. Uh, but uh, Star Wars is permanent, and uh, I hope we're going to see uh, a, a zillion trilogies. And, uh, some of them should be about mothers and uh, and children. The the prequels are interesting about mothers, though. Uh, f fast. The actress who plays Anakin's mother, I think, is terrific and uh, kind of unforgettable. And uh, Anakin is in search of both a mother and a father. No question about that. And he's damaged in a way that Luke isn't, I think, because Luke has a loving aunt and uncle. And uh, uh, Anakin, uh, he doesn't have anything like that. And the fact that he goes dark and Luke doesn't probably has something to do with that. And we're going to stop there for today. Tomorrow we're going to pick it up with a reconsideration of the question, what is the one thing you would change about Star Wars and why? Cass made me actually rethink my answer to this question, and we're going to end on what his answer is, which will surprise you. 
If you had to name an iconic special effect from the Star Wars movies, holograms would jump instantly to mind. From the moment Princess Leia appeared in R2-D2's very sneakily done Help Me Obi-Wan Kenobi, You're My Only Hope hologram, everybody has been captivated and transported by the mystery of the technology as well as the mystery of the story it told. That's why I want you to check out SW7X7.com hologram to see what Zebra Imaging created with the R2-D2 and Princess Leia scene as well as their other holograms as well. It's almost as good as having the real thing right in your home. One more time, that's SW7X7.com hologram to see it for yourself. Don't worry, we've still got time for trivia. Red Squad, Blue Squad, take my lead. I'm on it. You got my Last time we asked you for the nickname of Ray's Speeder and its bumper. Today's question, what does Ray do to increase the value at trade-in of the parts she scavenges for Unkar Plutt? Thanks for listening to another episode of Star Wars 7x7. And hey, before you ride your tauntaun past the first marker, check out SW7x7.com for show notes, links, photos, videos, and more. And please support the podcast by joining us on Patreon at patreon.com SW7x7. It's not a forced ghost vision, it's destiny unleashed. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2016 Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.